What's up, guys? Rick here with your DFS preview for this week's Palmetto Championship. This is a brand new event on the calendar, so there is a lot to talk about. There's implications with the U.S. Open being next week. There is a course we've never seen before, but first we have to look back at last week at the Memorial. I got a lot of messages. Some of you were very excited that you backdoored yourself into Patrick Cantlay, Colin Morikawa, you know, lineups. Uh, some of you were very upset because you had John Rahm exposure. I get it. Unfortunate situation for sure. Uh, even with the John Rahm WD, there were some exciting winners that I want to point out. Uh, first of all, Jay Money, congratulations, said he used the uh, live leaderboard, which is a free tool that I offer on rickrungood.com, turned his $5 showdown entry into $750 because he finished second in a single round contest. And then this one, this one might be my favorite one in quite some time, James Morrison. So he actually won access to the tools through a YouTube comment or through a podcast comment, said he used the free tools, uh, ended up becoming a subscriber and used them to turn $87 into $1,800, did really well in the birdie. So congratulations to James. Um, all of the tools, if you have not signed up for my site, rickrungood.com, it's where all the tools are that I offer uh, and that I show you each and every week. And if you want to be entered into a draw to win a subscription like James did, there's two ways to do it. If you're here on YouTube, make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. You like the video and comment below with who is going to win the Palmetto championship. The other way, leave a five-star rating and review on the iTunes on the podcast version of this show. I'll link it in the description. Say something nice about the show. Leave me your Twitter handle so I can get in touch with you. And winners from last week include Todd Whitmore or Todd Whitman, excuse me, and Pepster, 2017. I've reached out to you, Todd. Pepster, I could not find you. So reach out to me or else I'll draw somebody else. Uh, let me know and I'll, I'll get you guys all set up with those uh, ac with access to the tools. A couple of other things. Um, again, sign up for rickrungood.com. If you are not playing jock market yet, this is stock market DFS. I'm stoked about it. They uh, We have a live show Wednesday evenings. They just upped the deposit bonus. Uh, it is now $50. Use the code RICK50 for a $50 deposit bonus when you sign up for Jock Market. You only have to put $20 in. You get a $50 deposit bonus. I'm no mathematician. That's a pretty good deal. So you'll want to go ahead and do that. Get your feet wet this week before, uh, before the U.S. Open, which is going to be absolutely wild stuff next week as well. I believe that's it for my housekeeping items off the top. So let's jump into this week's DFS preview. All right, let's start with the course and the new event. This is your one-off, you know, your one-year replacement for the RBC Canadian Open. Actually, I guess there's been two years of replacements for the RBC Canadian. Last year's was the Workday Charity Open. This year's is the Palmetto Championship, and it's being held at Congaree, which is a very exclusive, relatively new course in South Carolina. It only opened up in 2017. It's a Tom Fazio design, and it's a big boy course. The official scorecard lists this thing at 7,655 yards, playing to a par 71. The front nine is an animal. Eight and nine alone playing over 500 yards as par four. So certainly uh, distance is going to be important. But if you're looking for comps, what can we consider here? Uh, I believe that um, 
Royal Melbourne is probably the best comp. Or, as our Australian friends would say, Royal Melbourne would be the proper way to pronounce that. Uh, to me, it is not only... Because of what you hear the designers say, they designed this after uh, the Australian sand belt courses, uh, but also just kind of looking at it. There's no rough on this course. In fact, there is only one length of grass in its entirety. It's, it's fairway. And if you miss the fairway, you're kind of in these sandy native areas, right? Kind of what we saw at, at Kiowa as well. Uh, so you are having to either play out of the fairway or playing out of sand essentially. And, and that was the design feature. And if you go and you look at some of the overheads of this course, Congaree and Royal Melbourne, you, you might not be able to tell the difference. I mean, the, the clustering of the trees, the clustering of the, of, of kind of the sandy areas or the bunkers uh, is very similar. And they want this to play firm and fast. That's, that's the idea. That's the design. That's the way this was intended to play. And that's what you see in Australia. Now, Alistair McKenzie uh, designed, he was the architect for, for Royal Melbourne. And that is probably why you're going to hear comps around Augusta National. Because there's not really any rough at Augusta National. It's another Alistair McKenzie design. I think that's a hair too far, quite honestly. A little bit of a stretch. But I, I understand it. But I'm sticking with Royal Melbourne. That, that's, that's my top comp for this week. Bermuda grass all around. We don't even have the official bunkering or square footage numbers from the... Um, the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America, that's where all this official information comes from. They don't even have it listed this week. So there's going to be a lot of unknowns, especially in this field. So what I've done in terms of the course correlated stats, as you can imagine, uh, we've never played here before. There are, there are no correlated stats. So what you're seeing is an aggregation of all of the stats, or excuse me, for all of the courses on the PGA Tour, of course, things like stroke scanned approach, birdie or better, driving accuracy tend to lend itself well uh, across the board, but we do not have any specific Congaree data. So if we turn our attention to the field, it's pretty ugly. I, I, I would be lying to you if I said this wasn't a weak field. Uh, it is. And that's okay. Sometimes we get these. You know, when, when golf returned, we got a real a lot of really strong fields. This might be the weakest field we've had in quite some time, outside of maybe Bermuda or Punta Cana or something like that. Uh, but with that being said, these are the weeks that I think the well-researched uh, person who's playing paying attention finds success, knowing the guys that are now $8,000 who are usually $6,500, uh, knowing the guys at the bottom, understanding the way that this might shake out with roster construction. So I, I actually find these weeks to be a, a bit of an exciting little puzzle. So only four golfers over 10,000. And we did have um, just a slew of withdrawals uh, at a couple. So Charlie Hoffman was originally in this field. He, he withdrew, I believe, Sunday evening. Uh, and then Brandon Grace Monday morning withdrew, uh, but before the pricing came out. So they're not in there as far as pricing goes. So that's that's a good sign. So the pricing still remains pure. Uh, four golfers over $10,000, incredibly top-heavy. Dustin Johnson at 11400 Brooks Koepke at eleven one, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Matt Fitzpatrick, excuse me, 10004 and then Terrell Hatton at $10,200. I mean, do I want to pay 10002 for Terrell Hatton? Not particularly. Do I want to pay 10-4 for Matt Fitzpatrick? Not particularly. But these are weeks that you kind of have to throw whatever your perception is about what these guys should be priced at. Throw it out the window. It doesn't matter anymore. Let's start with Dustin Johnson. 
the South Carolina guy that we have been waiting for him to break out. We've been waiting for him to flip the switch. We know that he can do it. He hasn't done it, and he hasn't played a ton, but his last top 10 was in February. That was at Genesis, and you go back and you look at uh, some of his advanced metrics here, or some of his metrics, you know, still driving the ball beautifully, right? He's gaining a bunch of strokes off the tee. The problem, in my opinion, lies with the approach game. Uh, the fact that he has lost strokes on approach in three of his last four, in five of his last, what is that? Or excuse me. Yeah, three of his last four, four of his last six, he has lost strokes on approach. Now, before that stretch, he had gained every tournament from workday, the WGC workday to the WGC FedEx St. Jude, which was like nine consecutive events. It's just a little bit uncharacteristic to see him struggle with his irons and his wedges as much. That's going to be the key for him. If he can figure that part of his game out, he'll be just fine. Do I think he can, can do it? Yes. Do I think he will do it? I don't know the answer to that. If I did, I... I guess I'd uh, I'd be retired living on an island somewhere. I I'm I'm I, I guess I would like to see what the ownership numbers are going to be. I imagine Brooks Kepka is going to eat up a lot of this ten thousand plus uh, ownership. We have not seen DJ since the PGA Championship. He's had plenty of time to get the game in shape. I'm probably more optimistic than most on DJ for this week as he tries to gear it up for Tory Pines uh, in just you know a handful of days. Kepka, I think, will eat up the vast majority of the 10K plus ownership. The last time we saw him, he was finishing runner-up to Phil Mickelson at the PGA Championship. We know if it's a long course, if it's, if it's difficult, and we don't know how difficult it's going to play. But you start talking about firm and fast, you start talking about major championship-like conditions, you start talking about Brooks Kepka. And while we can talk about his health, we can talk about uh, the distractions with Bryson, we can talk about anything else. If you look at his last six starts, he has one he has finished runner-up twice, he has a 38th, and he's missed the cut twice. That is a, a pretty great stretch of golf. Um, I, I, I think that he is going to be very popular, and I think it's going to be well-deserved. The pivot in the 10K range is probably Matt Fitzpatrick. Outside of his uh, missed cut at the Memorial, which was last week, so let's pull up Fitz here. And I've got his name all changed, all his all his rounds together. Uh, he did something pretty uncharacteristic, which is he lost four strokes on approach last week at the Memorial. He misses the cut. What I think is even more impressive about Fitzpatrick, and someone you do not think of as a long hitter, right? Uh, and he's not particularly. He's probably longer than you think he is, but he's incredibly accurate. He has gained strokes off the tee in every event this year. Since the Genesis, every event this year, he has gained strokes off the tee. And it is no surprise that he has had really good success on difficult golf courses. We're talking about Riviera, the Genesis Invitational. We're talking about uh, the concession, WGC Workday, 11th place finish there. API, 10th place. Uh, uh, Sawgrass, that's the, the Players' Championship, top 10 there. I mean, it's, it's incredible what he's been able to do. And I think that uh, playing out of the fairway is going to be more important than I think most people want to consider this week you know what we kind of have seen with some of these courses that have fairway and then either native area or sandy areas or whatever is you're kind of at the mercy of whatever happens in there right the ball it, sometimes it can be that hard pan sand and, and and it just kind of keeps running and you're at the mercy of it so playing out of the fairway I think is going to be very very important this week which is something uh, that Matt Fitzpatrick does quite often the $9,000 range, uh, Harris English, Sung J.M., Tommy Fleetwood, Ian Poulter, Patton Kazire, Garrick Higo. 
There you go. There's your there's your nine thousand dollar range. I'm probably a hair. I'm I'm likely going to be more bullish on Sung JM than most. It is very clear he has not played as well as we would like to have seen recently. Uh, good news is he's been okay off the tee. Uh, the putter has let him down. The approach game has let him down. It's 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 not great, right? But uh, my hope for Sung Jay is that. Uh, he can figure this out, but also he played really well at the President's Cup. That was at Royal Melbourne. He's played well at Augusta National, of course, which is another Alistair McKenzie design. Again, if we're kind of taking leaps of comps here, those two might be on the better end of it. And I just don't think Sungjae stays down for long. And I'm hoping I can get him at a single-digit ownership compared to some of these other guys in the range. Someone like an Ian Poulter, who arguably... Uh, maybe is, is having the best set of results and, and Poulter tends to be a, a very streaky golfer. So you kind of want to catch him in some of these, in some of these runs, you know, the, the last time we saw him, it was a third place finish at the Charles Schwab challenge, uh, a 30th at the PGA championship. That's a great result. He made a deep run in the match play. He's made a bunch of cuts in a couple of top 25s as well. Since the match play, I, I think this is kind of the stretch of golf you want to get from Poulter. The concerns would be, it's a, it's a long course, right? He is, it is 7,600 yards. It's a par 71. He's not particularly long off the tee. In fact, he's 195th in driving distance. And he relies a bit much on the short game, right? I mean, even his 30th at the PGA Championship, he lost strokes both off the tee and on approach. It just makes the path to success very, very narrow. I'm, I'm not against the flyer on Ian Poulter here because I like the way he's playing and he's a, a, he's a vet who can just kind of get it going. I like that about him, but I, I, I understand that his pathway is, is, is fairly narrow. Now, what do we do about Patton Kazire? Now, he is 9,100. He's got a couple of third-place finishes here recently. What I like about him is that he is a, a popper, right? He's just one of these guys that... Um, He's going to miss cuts. He's going to miss a lot of cuts. He's in no way safe, but when he gets going and when he plays well, he's got top tens. He's got three top tens in his last seven starts, right? The three, the two runner-ups, the ninth place finish at the Valero. He can get scorching hot with the irons. He can get scorching hot with the putter. That That's the thing. That's the thing. I would not uh, think that he or really anybody in this $9,000 range is all that safe. And then it rounds out with Garrick Higo, who, if you don't know much about, I don't, I don't blame you. He resides uh, usually on the on the European tour. He's won twice over there in his last handful of starts. Young, talented, long hitting lefty. I I like Garrick Higo's raw talent. We're just starting to see how it really translates to the PGA Tour. And quite frankly, let me actually, I might, I might be able to look this up. Okay, so his two wins recently have a an official World Golf Ranking strength of field of 29 and 45, which are both better than what the fields were at uh, Punta Cana and at the Puerto Rico Open. So it is like winning those events for Garrick Higo. Now, we don't know what the strength of field number is going to be just yet for Palmetto, but I imagine it's going to be fairly weak. And the last time we saw Higo, he had made the cut at the PGA Championship. So I I don't know how many casuals are going to be rostering Higo, uh, and it's kind of plug your nose a bit at $9,000 and, and roster him, but I, I certainly don't mind the raw talent from the kid. The $8,000 range I find very interesting. It starts with Alex Noren. It goes down to Scott Stallings and, and Doc Redman, and I, I want to just try to remove my brain from connecting these names to their prices. Do I want to pay $8,300 for Johnny Vegas? No. 
not particularly. In fact, just to kind of illustrate this, let, let's just see what Vegas is, what his salaries have been recently. So he is, what is he, 80, what did I say, $8,300 this week? Yeah, he's 8300 this week. He was 71, 72, 7,000, 71, 64, 74. Punta Cana, he was 9,800. But I mean, this is, it's expensive. It's, it's outside of Puerto Rico or Punta Cana, basically the most expensive Johnny Vegas has been in the last couple of years. So we have to kind of remove ourselves from that idea. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to run, run the numbers. Since the start of 2021, and I'm going to do this here on the Holy Grail. Um, who is you know the best players in this field? And I'm going to do by strokes gains total, and I'm just going to point out the guys in the eight thousand dollar range as they come up. And wouldn't you know it, the first guy is Johnny Vegas. So he's gaining about 0.72 strokes uh, total per round in 2021. He's played 40 rounds. He is that's the best of anybody in the eighty three hundred dollar range. The thing that he does well is he relies on the driver. He leans on that club. The rest of his game a bit hairy and the putter certainly a bit scary, but funny that Johnny Vegas comes up first. Number two would be Harold Varner the third. He's eighty five hundred dollars. He is kind of all over the place. He doesn't really have one strength. He doesn't really have one weakness. In fact he is uh, uh, positive off the tee, positive on approach, positive around the greens, and he's a tiny little negative on the putting surface. So he's a more well-rounded option at 8,500. And then the third guy uh, in the $8,000 range would be uh, Lucas Glover. Now, we've seen him play better recently, and we've seen him putt better recently, which is really the key. So let me let me just you know try to illustrate this a little bit. Since the Players' Championship... Oh, and of course, I just clicked... Let me unclick that. Since the Players' Championship for Lucas Glover, he has gained strokes putting in six of eight starts. That's pretty unheard of when you start opening up the date range and look at how poor he has putted. So, so six of eight he has gained. In his Before that stretch, he lost strokes putting in two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight consecutive events. So quite the flip for Lucas Glover, and he's one of the few guys who has played this course at least enough. There were some really good comments that he made. He said, um, I think he described it as a little linksy. I think he described it as like one of these sand belt courses. Oh, he said it is, it, it is seminal fast Bermuda greens is the way that he described them. So he's got a little bit of uh, more knowledge than most. And he has flipped the script with the putter. Expect him to be fairly popular this week at $8,600. And it is certainly not lost on me that Alex Norin at $8,900 has um, you know, finished inside the top 25 in five of his last six starts, including a 13th place finish at the Memorial last week. And it is certainly not lost on me that Keith Mitchell has incredible upside. Again, uh, him and Norin, in terms of the results right now, could not be any more different. Keith Mitchell, a more volatile, higher upside player in his last eight starts or so. Alex Norin, a more consistent, maybe lower ceiling guy. So consider that when you are rostering these golfers. Down the nine or the 7K range, excuse me. Uh, the name that actually is most interesting is right at the top. It's Danny Willett. He's $7,900. And if you go back to that Holy Grail, and if you notice, when I, when I sorted by strokes gain total since the start of the calendar year, which I will update right now. 
you'll notice there was a lot of uh, $10,000 guys. There's a lot of, there's an $11,000 guy, some nines. And before I even got to any of the $8,000 guys, there was a $7,000 guy named Danny Willett. And again, he's doing it a lot with the, the, the parts of the game that are less sustainable. The short game around the green specifically, he's gained five strokes there at the Memorial. He gained four at the PGA Championship. We don't know what he did at Zurich, but that's the team event that he played with uh, Terrell Hatton, I believe. And then we don't know what he did at Punta Cana, where he also had a top 10. So this is, I think there's a lot, a lot of questions about the state of Danny Willett's game. I think the results are good. I think that the way that he's doing it is of what we know is a little bit concerning, but it could look a lot better than this. If we fill in Zurich and we fill in Punta Cana with some good numbers, I I might not be making the case that he's that much of a short game specialist, but at $7,900 in this field, as it continues to drop off very, very quickly, that's a name that I'm pretty interested in. I think maybe the way to approach this $7,000 range is let a lot of the data do the talking, um, and then I'll, I'll give my narrative side of it. But uh, Vincent Whaley is 7700 Of course, we know he has made just a ton of cuts in a row. A lot of his finishes are between 20th and 34th. He paid us all off with being $6,200 two weeks ago to Charles Schwab. We have not seen him since then. He is now 7700 I would be very interested to see what that ownership is going to come in at. But let me go to uh, the trends tool and scroll down to these breakout candidates and just try to find some of these guys in the $7,000 range that might be... Uh, breakout candidates. That's, that's why I named it that I was going to try to say it differently, but that's, that's why I named it for the seven K guys. It looks like Nate Lashley is on the correct side of this. Brian Stewart, Danny Lee on the correct side of this. These are golfers that are hitting it uh, above their expectation and strokes gained uh, T to green, but also not putting to their baseline, whether that's good or bad. They are not putting to their baseline, so they're getting a little bit unlucky, which is uh, where you would see that that would they would show up as a as a breakout candidate. The the big one kind of here is Brooks Kepka. Of course, we've already talked about him, but he's certainly on the correct side of this, um, which is a little bit scary for the rest of the field. You know, some narrative stuff here in the seven thousand dollar range. I really like the corn fairy guys, and I don't know a better way to put that. Right, someone like a uh, a Richie, uh, excuse me, not Richie Warinsky, a David Lipsky, a a Peter Uline, and a there was one other one, Seamus Power. Right, these are guys that are splitting a lot of time on the Corn Ferry. Uh, they might come up and play. They might come up and play well. They might not. But the Corn Ferry is so deep and so good. This is kind of like a Corn Ferry field this week. I, I, I hate I hate to say it, but it's kind of true. And these guys are used to having to go out and make a bunch of birdies, contend, playing for their careers, playing for their jobs all the time. And they're doing it pretty successfully. So um, someone like a U-line at 7,300, a Seamus Power at 75, and a... Uh, I, I can't find him again. David Lipsky at 74. I find them to be interesting because of their pedigree on the sh- on the smaller circuit now coming up and getting a big opportunity. And if we're talking about the Corn Ferry guys, we've, we've got to talk about the college guys. So if we sh- scroll down to the $6,000 range, there's a couple of guys making their um, professional debuts. John Pock and... Uh, also, uh, so Cole Hammers here, he is not making his professional debut. He's going back to college for one more year, but we also have Davis Thompson, which why can't I find him? Oh, because he's getting a little bit more respect. He's $7,200. So, uh, Davis Thompson and John Pock. So these are guys that 
are so remember we just had the NCAA the men's it, it just finished up it just wrapped so all of these guys now say okay it's been real I'm turning pro and they're making their first professional starts John Pock the number one ranked player in the PGA Tour U this is this new program where it gives golfers in college an opportunity to earn points and then kind of get a little bit of a head start on either the Corn Ferry or the PGA and they can get sponsors exemptions and stuff like that so this is going to be John Pock's uh, first career PGA Tour or start as a professional, excuse me, and uh, he's 6,900. He is certainly much more of an unknown entity than a lot of these other golfers, but you could argue an unknown entity instead of Ches Reeve, who's missed like five or six cuts in a row, might be better. Who knows? Um, and then Davis Thompson, who as of, I guess, the point where he turned pro was the number one amateur in the world. He has played on uh, the PGA Tour before. I believe he's played two RSM Classics. He's probably played the U.S. Open. You know, some of those things you can get into as amateurs as well uh, to varying levels of success. And then Cole Hammer, he's actually going to uh, return to the University of Texas for his final his final year. He's a he's a, a, well just finished up his junior year. He'll be a senior. He's sixty eight hundred dollars. Has been highly touted since probably the time he was 14 years old. Um, so th those are three guys that are very much unknown entities. But in this field, you might be looking for unknown entities because the known entities are not very good. As I scroll to the bottom, I just kind of look through some of these names of guys that might be getting disrespected. Uh, Michael Gligic at, at 6,500, you know, outside of the miscut that Charles Schwab had made four in a row with two of them being top 30 finishes. One was the Zurich Classic. Of course, um, Sam Ryder, it's ugly on paper. He's missed a lot of cuts, but I find him to be a, a volatile, high upside type golfer. And if we look down and see, do we have a Vincent Whaley this week? Do we have a Kyle Stanley this week? Someone near the min price who is completely mispriced? And the answer is no, probably not. Uh, these guys all look like scrubs. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and especially because this field is incredibly top heavy. It was incredibly weak to begin with. Sean O'Hare has made two cuts in a row. Byron Nelson and the Wells Fargo. I'm not excited about that. I don't think there's anything there. So I would probably cut my lineup short at maybe Gligic would be the lowest I would go at 6,500. There is going to be some appeal for Will Gordon because he can hit it so far off the tee, but he has been unable to harness any of that. He's missed five cuts in a row. Man, tough scene, tough scene. Okay, let's build a lineup or let's build a model, I guess I should say. This is the lineup builder at rickrungood.com, which replaced the old custom model. The old custom model still exists, This, but it won't for long because we are uh, very close to taking this out of beta. There's going to be some more stats added. There's going to be a couple things that we're going to tweak. And then, and then I'm probably going to discontinue that custom model and this this lineup builder, which is essentially a custom model that lets you build lineups, uh, will take its place. So many, many cool things to come. So let's do this. I, I've been enjoying and I've been finding success with the last 24 rounds. And I, I don't really know what Congaree is going to take, but here are my guesses. And I could do strokes gained off the tee, but what I'm actually probably going to do is some combination of distance and accuracy, which again, I could just do off the tee, but I think that there's going to be an emphasis on playing out of the fairway. Let's put 20 on that. And it's a very long course, the longest par 71 that we have. So let's do 22 on distance. So I've basically created some kind of weighted strokes gained off the tee. And now I don't really need 
to mess with strokes gained off the tee. I can do strokes gain approach, which as every single week on the PGA Tour, that's important. Let's put 20 on that. Let's do 15 around the green and 10 on putting. Uh, So again, this is now what I've done is I've kind of created my own little weighted strokes gain total sort of deal, Uh, which leaves me with 13 weights left. And I think I'm probably just going to put them all on birdie or better. And just because that's such a strong correlator to draft Kings points, let's do that. And let's sort this by value. And oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. Brooks Kepka is my number one golfer, which should not be all that much of a surprise. Uh, last 24 rounds, he's been phenomenal off the tee. He's been phenomenal from tee to green. He's making a ton of birdies. So that should not be a surprise, especially in this field. Lucas Glover is number two, which is terrifying. It's exciting. I know that he's played this course before. I know that he probably has more knowledge about it than anybody. And I know that he's fixed the putter a little bit, or at least on paper has putted better. But that is absolutely terrifying that my number two golfer is Lucas Glover. My number three golfer is Alex Noren, which might be even more terrifying. Uh, Kind of a short game specialist, but the results are there. 8,900. Then I have Harold Varner III and Harris English at four and five. I basically skipped over Harris English. Um, because I wasn't, I wasn't excited one way or another. I thought he was fairly priced in this field at 9,900 since his win at the tournament of champions. He hasn't played all that well. I think we're starting to see him turn the corner a little bit, but I would like to see the ball striking numbers be better for Harris English. Uh, what he has going for him is he's been, he's been accurate or more accurate than some of these other guys off the tee, uh, in the last 24 rounds. And then Danny Willett, I'm actually pretty impressed by this. Danny Willett was a guy that I... I kind of seeked out because I, I, I was you know watching him play, watching him play well over the course of the last couple of weeks. I saw that he was only $7,900 in this field, and I, I like that he is now showing up on the model as well. Um, then my, my guys round out with Hatton, Pat Perez, which is stunning, DJ, and Vincent Whaley. Vincent Whaley actually ranks higher than Matt Fitzpatrick in this model, which is, which is nuts. But what Vincent Whaley has, has done is he's made a lot of birdies. He has been basically a plus across the board. Um, he's been good in the short game, which I gave a little bit of, a, of credence to. And he is longer than, um, than some of these guys, like Ben Martin or Sung J.M. or Brant Snedeker. So very, very interesting. And what I like about this, this model and, and the way you do the weighting system is it's really only looking at this field, right? It's, it's, it's taking into account the strength of this field and it's saying, who are the best guys in this field? So you get names like Pat Perez, Vincent Whaley, Matthew Neesmith that might be a little bit scary, but that's what we're dealing with this week. So it's kind of where we're at. All right. I think that'll do it. Your DFS preview for this week's Palmetto Championship at Congaree should be fun. I don't know what to expect. Should, I, I think the course is going to look really good on, on television. And I think a really weird lineup is going to win all the money this week. When Alex Noren and Lucas Glover win me 200K, I'll be very stoked. Let me know what you think. Tweet me, at Rick Rungood. Leave a comment below. Best of luck this week, and I will talk to you guys soon.